Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grossack. It's me great pleasure to welcome our regular What's Making News co-host, Russell Hanby. Welcome, Russell. Thanks, Henry. How are you today? I'm pretty good, although we've had a pretty um, tough time of it the second half of the week. What was it like up there in the gully in the storms on uh, on uh, Wednesday night and through yes, Thursday? Yes, a lot of a lot of wind and that, and a lot of trees down. I had to go to the uh, the radio station on the Thursday morning yesterday, and uh, a lot of trees on the side of the road and that, and not over the road. They'd done a good job the way I go, getting rid of anything. But uh, but apparently around the Dandenongs was really bad, wasn't it? Oh, it was shocking, absolutely shocking. Um, and uh, a lot of places, SES have been out all over the place um, and it's been really quite a, a challenging time. Uh, we haven't had a storm like that for a while, Russ. No, it hasn't been a long time. I can't remember the last uh, big blow like that, you know. No, can no. you? No, and it uh, happened uh, even around here, a lot of banging and crashing as bits of timber and tin was coming loose and that, but... Uh, you know, we're opposite a park, so we get the full brunt of any breezes too, or winds. Yes, um, one of those ones that uh, was a very rare occurrence, but um, by gee, it, uh, it 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 caused some damage. What is the uh, what's the forecast looking forward uh, over the next few days, um, heading into the oh. weekend? Well, I think the showers are going to continue till about Sunday, but they won't be anything like the rain and the wind we've had and the. The wind, uh, it's actually being, what's it, Friday morning now. It's not nearly as bad as it was the, the other day, is it? So it's going to be a few showers but until about Monday, I think, and then it'll be clearing up, they say. But it's quite cool, 15-degree type temperatures. Yes, yes. Now, did you have any homework? No, no. Remember, we had a clear sheet this time. It was. We don't often have a clear sheet, do we? No. We said we wouldn't have any, so uh, we didn't. <laughs> we didn't have any homework. Um, now, um, we, uh, we've got some very interesting pieces that we're covering today, Russell. Experts say that Pfizer for kids will get the green light this year. Infectious diseases paediatricians and vaccine experts anticipate the Pfizer shot could be approved for use in Australian children as young as 12 before the end of the year. Now, that's an interesting development, isn't it? Yes, because we haven't thought of uh, younger children getting it at this stage, have we? Uh, now, it could still be months before the TGA here uh, gives approval, but paediatric infectious diseases specialist Christopher Blythe said that the emergence of the highly contagious variants meant it was important for as many to be vaccinated as possible, including children and adolescents. In fact, uh, other countries like North America, Britain and Israel, they've, they've approved Pfizer use for 12 to 15-year-olds. And the Pfizer company has globally announced the safety and efficacy of its vaccine for 12, 15-year-old age groups. Um, so they're looking at the, the adolescents at this stage, aren't they? They are. And I think it wasn't a North Melbourne school here in uh, Victoria, Melbourne, closed down um, earlier in the week because... Uh, there was a transmission between children and to um, to a teacher. Teacher, yes, that was at North Melbourne Primary School, yes. And were under twelve. They were, yes. Uh, in fact, their testifies as testing uh, under twelves, but it could be a, a, a fair way off until we get that um, to that age group. Um, and uh, but the World Health Organization, they. They've come out with a counter-argument and saying that vaccines, instead of giving them to young children who don't sort of suffer that much themselves, uh, they, they should be given instead to donated to countries ravaged by the diseases who don't have, have enough. So that's the, uh, the other argument, isn't it? Yeah, look, the bottom line is um, 
the need is greater than what we've currently got in the way of um, the demand outseas the supply in many different ways and uh, it doesn't generally play out well for the the more vulnerable and the less powerful, does it, and the poor? No, it doesn't. So, uh, But that's uh, an interesting thing because this variant, uh, now we're finding children are getting it now, which wasn't happening a few months ago uh, to the same extent. So it's... Uh, I suppose it won't be long before the children will get it, uh, maybe, you know, the vaccine. The Delta, yeah. The problem is, of course, and I was reading something else recently, um, Russell, where they're now in other countries mixing and matching and the the evidence, which is yet to be peer-reviewed, but the strong evidence appears to be that by mixing Pfizer with AstraZeneca, you get stronger immunity um, and countries oh. such as Canada have already embarked on it uh, we can't because we just don't have enough Pfizer vaccines, even if we wanted to. No, that's right. So, uh, yes, a few weeks ago, yeah, that wasn't the case, was it? But now it seems to be uh, with these variants, it's a, a real worry. Well, look, it's a it's a learning curve. I mean, we're, what, 15 months, 18 months into this uh, into this pandemic. And, I mean, the scientists around the world on research have done a phenomenal job to get where we are. But anybody who does who believes that, We've got the final definitive answer on vaccines is fooling themselves. I mean, the research goes on and on and on. And uh, uh, my, my guess would be that in 12 to 18 months, AstraZeneca, as it is, will be obsolete simply because of its its risk to, to a very small number of people. Uh, and the mRNA vaccines will be the way of the future. So it's been groundbreaking. It's been phenomenally quick. Uh, and we're still on a learning curve in so many ways as we go through it. I mean, normally you don't get vaccines for years, five, ten no. years. This is in 15 no. months. So so the people running around, you know, with a concern about that side um, probably need to take uh, another look at it because it's it's been uh, it's been Nobel Prize winning research of the highest order to get where we are in 18 months with a vaccine. That's right. It's been fast-tracked, certainly, hasn't it? I think it's the only time I can remember where, you know, on mass, this has happened so quickly. Yeah, and yes, look, there's a lot of lot of gaps and glitches and uh, lack of cooperation. I guess at the end of the day, it proves one thing, doesn't it? When the chips are down, we people tend to more often than not look after themselves and their own first. Yes, that's right, yeah. <laughs> Human nature, I suppose, isn't it? Yes, whether that's defensible or not, it's a debate, uh, an ethical debate. Um, segwaying on from this is in the Herald Sun, isn't it, uh, really, Russell? Yes, uh, uh, give us facts priority. The teachers and health experts are calling for, for fast-track COVID-19 vaccination for educators to reduce the risk of spreading the virus and prevent another prolonged period of remote learning. And it does what I talked about a little minute, a minute ago. It follows the latest West Melbourne outbreak, which has now included a teacher from North Melbourne Primary School. So we used to think, oh, it's very rare to pass it on. Uh, the new variant, that's not necessarily the case. Now, more than 200,000 Victorian students lost up to 21 weeks face-to-face teaching due to lockdowns in 2020. And, and two weeks this year, except perhaps for VCE, who didn't lose quite as much. Now, Albert Park College principal... Stephen Cook said that fast-tracking vaccinations for teachers would give them more confidence to be in the classroom, more security and certainty. And that's been backed up by a few other people too. 
mm. a clinical epidemiologist, Professor Nancy ba- Baxter, um, I think is it Baxter or Barter? I can't read my own writing. I think it's Baxter. Baxter. Said, said teachers should be prioritised to receive the jab, especially with Delta around, which has more of an effect on children, the Delta. And the Australian Education Union Victorian President Meredith Peace says we'll continue to be at risk of disruptions in schools and TAFEs unless education staff given priority vaccine access. So it sort of makes a bit of sense, doesn't it, uh, that yeah. that should, should happen? Yeah, look, we were talking about this last year that we ought to be prioritised, um, given that in a school, it doesn't matter how you do it, it just doesn't operate in the way that it does out in society in terms of social distancing. Uh, and it, and now that the Delta variants come out and it appears to be more transmissible among children than, and children to adults, then clearly we we should be um we should be getting priority i mean the other problem with that one too is and i know that kids have to come to school but uh and the remote learning has been very disadvantageous to them in many ways but um they're all hothoused in rooms aren't they i mean you've got 25 kids to 30 kids in a room and there isn't any social distancing so uh, a completely different issue is um, we really don't want this Delta one to spread because if it's more transmissible among children and children work at school in really non-social distancing environments, particularly young children, and they don't wear masks, you're asking for trouble, aren't you, Russell? Yes, you are. I mean, they've relaxed now. As of uh, last night, the restrictions and hotels, people, there's 50 people, I think, can go inside. But they're all spaced, as you say, in a classroom of 25 students or so. Uh, that, that doesn't take place at all, does it? No, and the teacher working with them, the same thing. I mean, and also wearing of masks with younger children is pretty impracticable. Um, so, um, and teaching is not easy to do if you're wearing a mask, especially when you're trying to instruct children. Um, it's it's and of course being home remote learning doesn't work because parents have to go to work, and uh, we all know the social um, disadvantages for children of being isolated from their peers. So we we really need well, we we need to get our population vaccinated as quick as possible at the end of the day, don't we, um, Russell? That's right. And it's all very well to say, oh, well, just wait, do it by the age uh, that we're doing now. But that's uh, not what we're talking about. We're talking about prioritising, aren't we, you know? Yeah. And, so, that, and, so that even the even the younger teachers can get it quickly, you know? Yes, and we're probably reaping the rewards uh, uh, for, you know, having been ahead of the pack early days and um, thinking we had all day and a bit to get ourselves vaccinated. And now here we are trying to play catch up. But, that's right. Another another story, Russell. Uh, Russell, in the Herald Sun also, kid-friendly apps are harvesting their data. Popular Lego, Minecraft and Marvel apps um, are gathering children's personal data without the knowledge of parents, Australian experts have revealed. Um, that's not really surprising, is it? Whenever we go, no. whenever we involve ourselves with anything uh, digital, we're having data on ourselves, adults and kids harvested. But given... Given that children are the responsibility of their parents, uh, they could be especially vulnerable. Yes, and uh, a lot of the kids that do the, with their tablets and things, the, the parents aren't watching them uh, a lot of the time, are they? And don't really know what they're getting up to. Um, anyway, there's a new website from the Council uh, on Children and Media which will allow parents to see the tracking of and private actions of apps from major companies. 
for example, what permissions are sought, what personal identifiers are going on, and uh, whether it's passed on to others securely or not. Uh, sometimes they want the location of the user and, uh, and answering of incoming phone calls and access to camera, reading their text messages, and uh, even accessing users' contacts and photos. And um, so what the council has developed, they've developed a website that lists apps that use dangerous permissions, such as uh, there's one apparently a flashlight app that wants to know the user's location. Well, when you think about it, why would you need to know where the person was uh, just to put the light on? Absolutely, it's so true. And uh, as they say, the collection of children's personal data can enable predators uh, facilitate commercial exploitation and build a risky, long-standing digital footprint. It's uh, it's one. And, and as you said too, Russell, parents can't be watching their kids, you know, twenty-four-seven. And kids are pretty savvy <laughs> at getting around um, obstacles uh, and uh, not always aware of the consequences. Yeah, and my even my eight-year-old uh, in grade three, he's uh, into Minecraft along with his mates, and so yeah, I don't really know what all that's about. But so now maybe we'll have some sort of uh, a, a precaution now with this uh, new uh, website. And hopefully, parents will will get it. You can see parents come home; they're tired, they've had a long day, and it's so easy. You just want the kids. I know when I was a kid, we didn't have computers, but as long as we weren't fighting mum and dad didn't mind what we were doing out the back of the house in the yard <laughs> that's right yeah. <laughs> they wanted sometimes just to sit down and relax and of course if we got ourselves into some sort of uh, an argument and it got out of hand that Part of the, the wrath of our parents was because we'd interrupted their peace and quiet yeah. as much as whatever we were doing. I can see why parents of today would probably feel the same way. Um, private schools, they tend to do well, don't they, Russell? That's right. We often talk about the, these topics in this uh, little segment, don't we? Yes. Uh, uh, this is from the age. $2 million is a, a tiny fraction of the $7.64 billion that was spent on building and upgrading schools in 2019. But for Victoria Road Primary School, the modest injection of capital funding was revolutionary. And uh, and the principal of that Lillardale school, Lisa Branch, says it was just enough to renovate its classrooms for the first time in its 50-year history. So they were able to do away with the old central corridor and the dark rooms and and put in in larger light-filled rooms, etc. But another school, a primary school, Hampton, has been lobbying for years for a large indoor gym. Uh, to enable whole school pro- sports programs and assemblies. And at the moment, there's nowhere really for sport and PE. And again, they haven't been successful. Yes, and then you go and look at a report revealed that in the decade of 2018, non-government schools outspent government schools on capital works by $29.6 billion, not million, with the help of hundreds of millions in taxpayer grants every year. So when you look at it that way, Russell, on a per-student basis, non-government schools receive between two and four times more funding each year than public schools or, turning it into dollars, $12,450 more per student over the 10-year period. And um, how that's justifiable in terms of the taxpayer contribution beats me. Yeah, and these funds, they're mainly what the federal funds that we're talking about, essentially. Yep. Yeah. Because, as we know, government schools rely on capital grants, mostly from state governments. And, uh, and in fact, it's interesting, these schools educate 65.7%, around about two-thirds of Australian school children. 
And the the interesting it it gets back also to this. To, to, there's a lot of factors involved, and one of them is our federal system of government. Government, and we have the feds and we have the states, and they overlap and they share responsibility for so many things. And and in some ways that's a good thing, but it also can be a very bad thing in terms of who blames who, and we've seen that with COVID over and over, but also with funding. Here we've got the feds funding private schools predominantly and the states funding uh, government schools predominantly and all schools are the responsibility of the state. And as we've seen with Gonski, at the end of the day, um, there's plenty of research to show that uh, we haven't really come as far as we could and should in terms of equitable resourcing of our schools for all children. It's We're miles away from that. And, um, and uh, these are some of the, the issues involved. That's right. And the economist Adam Roris, he advocates uh, government funds for capital works should be directed to under-resourced schools, which sort of makes sense, doesn't it? Too? Yes, yes. But what we say should and what does happen have been very different things for donkey's years, Russell. Um, it's a, it's one where I, I, we've got to keep pushing on it. But um, we missed a golden opportunity to get it right under Gonski. Um, uh, we could have had that right, but... Um, yeah. The opportunities were missed by a number of governments. The odd spot, Russell, are you into cicadas? No. Well, you not, sure not to you're eat, not? Not to eat anyway, because Chocolate Shop in the US uh, says the 17-year-old cicadas have been flying off the shelves after its Paris train boss began coating them in chocolate when swarms of them began to emerge from underground for the first time since 2004. Sarah Dwyer, Chouquette Chocolates in Maryland, said the insects are delicious, noting when you combine the chocolate, the cinnamon and the nuttiness of the bugs, <laughs> it really gives you that it really gives you that holiday feeling. So she collects the cicadas from trees behind the shop. So I guess that the, you hear about these things having lots of protein, don't you, in them? Or something yeah, too. flies do too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you run around eating flies, Russell? No, no, <laughs> it's it's annoying sometimes. I haven't done it for years, but have you ever had a fly, a little fly in your mouth? Shocking, yeah, we've all had that feeling and it makes you feel, well, I don't know, it's psychological, it makes you feel sick. But yeah, that's, how sort does of eating gets, these, I don't know where she gets the holiday feeling from. Where does that come from, eating? <laughs> I think that's a bit of a make-up one. I, I, could, oh, no. I could come out that perhaps you like the flavour, but I didn't know that that flavour creates a holiday feeling, but... Uh, yeah, cicadas. Um, if you ever get round to eating one or testing one of these chocolate-coated, cinnamon-coated cicadas, let me know what it's like, Russ. Okay, right, I'll do that, yes. See if you can get some from America if they let you import them. <laughs> I might get you some for Christmas. That's right. I wonder, wonder, wonder what our local ones taste like, yeah. Uh, yes, I, well, you can find out for us, Russ. There's your homework. That'll take you a while. They, they're, yeah. they're not out at the moment. They come out, what, over summer, don't they? Yeah, they do, I think, yeah, yeah summer, I'll, yeah. I've written a little note to myself. Uh, next summer, <laughs> catch, catch a cicada for Russell and coat it in chocolate and cinnamon. <laughs> See, what, you can be the guinea pig. Yeah, oh, good. It's interesting. North of the border here, uh, they call them cicadas, don't they? They do. Uh, they do. Yeah. It's like if you go to Queensland, they call it castle, and you're in Victoria's castle. Castle, that's right. And yet we've got castle. We've got Castlemaine here, but and in New South they call it Castle Hill. So it's uh, like 
when the when the federation came, we still really had separate colonies in some ways. Didn't Absolutely, we? and it harked back to the uh, to the United Kingdom. Well, that takes us out, Russ. Listen, be stay safe and be uh, and be happy over the the weekend. And let's hope in a week's time that uh, things can be relaxed even more. That's right. Well, fingers crossed that will happen. Absolutely. Yeah, that was Russell Hanby. What's making news, listeners? Don't go away. 